The question that I often get asked is this. What's the difference between the denominations? <sighs> it's not that I don't know the answer. I actually know the answer to that question. The problem is I don't know how to explain it in a really succinct way. Okay, so if you turn off the, if you mute Steve's guitar, I think that bug will go away. There you go. So I often think to myself, how do I explain it? The real answer to this one is, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant? It's that the Catholics view tradition on equal level footing as the Bible. That's like the very simple version. Okay, the way that plays out gets very complicated. All right, but that's like the simple answer. And I'm not even going to try to solve that for you this morning, but as I got this question, once again, what's the difference between the denominations? One of the big differences that always comes up is baptism, right? Baptism is usually one big difference that comes up in the denominations. Some people believe in baptism by immersion. Some people do pouring, some people do sprinkling, babies, adults, and so on and so forth. This is one of the big differences. And so we as Baptists, of course, we think that baptism is for adults after you've been baptized. And so as Baptists, I would like to challenge you with this question. Do you think that the Bible say, does the Bible say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of of your sins. Does it say this in the Bible? Yes, absolutely it does. That is a direct quote from the passage we are going to go to today. And so you say, when you think about this issue of baptisms and how baptism is different within denominations, I would argue with you this morning that one of the most important passages in the entire Bible to determine your view on baptism is actually Acts chapter 2. You think, really? Not like Jesus' baptism or maybe some of the other baptisms that took in the place? Why is Acts chapter 2 so incredibly important when discussing this issue of baptism? And the first one's like this big, long theological trail. So you ready to go with this for me right now? So a number of weeks ago, we talked about how Joel 2 is fulfilled in Acts 2. So let's pretend with me for a moment that we say everything promised in the Old Testament to Abraham completely fulfilled in the church. So we as the church are basically complete fulfilled descendants of Abraham in every way. The Abrahamic covenant is fully a part of us. Okay? Just imagine that with me now. You say, okay, how does this Abrahamic covenant work? Well, when you wanted to become a part of the covenant, what did you have to do as a sign that you had joined and become a part of the covenant? You had to be circumcised. That was it. So if, so if you decide to become a part of God's plan later in life, even as an adult, you would be circumcised as an adult. But most of the time, when were people circumcised? When they were born as Jewish babies, they were circumcised as infants. And then, 
Follow me here. Let's read Colossians chapter 2. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So one might argue this is like a new type of circumcision. Having buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith and the power working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. So booyah, right there, you can see the connection. We have the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is completely fulfilled in the New Testament. And therefore, in order for us to demonstrate we're part of this Abrahamic covenant, what do we have to do? We have to be circumcised, but there's a new way to do circumcision. And the new way to do circumcision is baptism. Therefore, how, who did they do baptism to in the Old Testament? Babies. Who should we do baptism to in the New Testament? Babies. So you probably might be surprised to hear that I was telling you and describing to you how the Old Testament being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 actually is like a major key debate point when you're talking about whether you should baptize an infant or an adult. Because it makes more sense to baptize an infant if you believe that the new covenant is just a continuation of the old Abrahamic covenant, and therefore you need to show that you're a part of it, and the way you show you're a part of it is to be baptized, which the way they did it was by baptizing infants. Following me? So, this is why. Now, this is not why, but I already thought this, but so I don't think that the um, whole Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in the new covenant. Therefore, I don't think that there needs to be a... Uh, replacing of circumcision in there in that way and done to infants okay but you could see the argument so like all the lutherans and catholics you know they're not crazy okay they are smart people too they're nice people okay we're friends with them right this is kind of how they walk through it and think about it but then this other important part that we're going to talk about this morning related to baptism isn't just the theological reasons why they think there's infant baptism we'll continue on we'll see that so we go to verse 37 Peter has been giving this speech. He's been telling them. Apparently, this is an abbreviated version of his speech. And it says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So Peter has given this speech. He's convicted the people. And the people said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter gives the big speech. We've been going over the speech the last number of weeks. That's where we talked about Acts 2, Joel 2. Now the speech is over. The people say, this is fantastic. What do we do? You've told us all these wonderful things. The Holy Spirit's come. We saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. It was fantastic. We want to be a part of this. We believe you. Tell us what to do. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. I used to have this discussion with my grandma. Grandma's passed away now, but my grandma was Lutheran. And I'd say, Grandma, how do you get to heaven? She says, faith in Jesus. 
So, so just, it's faith in Jesus that gets you to heaven? Grandma would say, yes. Grandma, do you need to be baptized to go to heaven? Yes. And I'd be like, okay, so grandma, right? Okay, let me help me. Let's try this again. It's faith that gets you to heaven, right? Yes. Grandma, do you need to be baptized to get to heaven? Yes. I don't know how those two things didn't conflict in my mind, but they never did. As a matter of fact, when my sister was born, so I was infant baptized in the Lutheran church, but when my sister was born, she was the first one of the family of, of the grandchildren of grandma that wasn't infant baptized. So grandma was extremely concerned about my sister. And until my sister ended up deciding to become a Christian, she got baptism later in life. She was a teenager when she decided to get baptized. Until that point, my grandma was extremely worried that my sister wasn't on her way to heaven. Matter of fact, I was talking to my aunt, same side of the family, and we were talking about the same issue, same issue. And I, rem- I don't remember the details of the conversation, but I remember what she told me one time. She said, got to have the water. Got to have the water. You know, she didn't really disagree with me on the whole faith thing, but you know, when it came right down to it, she said, got to have the water. You know, in the Catholic Church, there's seven sacraments that are, help you to are part of what gets you to heaven. Of course, baptism is one of those. So they're one of the avenues in which to help you gain favor with God to get to heaven. The Lutheran Church, I don't think technically says you have to be baptized to get saved, though apparently that's what my grandma got out of the whole deal. I don't, I don't think if I talk to a Lutheran theologian, that's exactly what they would say. But you say, so Joel, you're claiming... and. I am claiming that you don't need to be baptized to be saved, but it does say right here, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What does this mean? Because it's really, this is what it really sounds like, that in order to have your sins forgiven, you need to what? Repent and be baptized. But Baptists, of course, and I would argue, we say no, no, no. The repentance or the the faith, that's what saves you, and the baptism comes later. So why are they tied together here? Have we been wrong all this time? I need to go to a different seminary. Oh, man, I'm paying for education for even more longer. Oh, geez. I'm going to give you something to think about this morning. It's the word for. You get to the word for... In the Greek, it's like gar is the word. And prepositions are just a mess. Think about it this. You live on 4th Street at such and such lane. Why is one at and one on? We don't know. We can't even explain it in America. We just know which preposition goes with. Like prepositions have this weird, fluid meaning. And this word gar has this. So if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, it's like pages and pages of optional meaning. So the translators get to it, and they can do something like this. They can say, I'm going to make a definite choice on what this means. Or I can try to make it as generic as possible. So all the way back, starting with the King James Version, 
They decide to make it as generic as possible, and so use the, you use the word for to go, how is the word for generic? And it's generic because of this. You can say this phrase, you are wanted for murder. Now, when you say wanted for murder, do you mean you're wanted for the purpose of murdering someone? No, what you mean is you're wanted because you murdered somebody. Right? The word can mean because of. You're wanted because of the murder that you committed. Or you could say, you're wanted for the band. We need you for the band. Why? For the purpose of the band. So the word for can mean because of in English. It can also mean for. So if you take it as because of, you could read it like this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins. And then baptism doesn't become for the purpose of saving your sins. It becomes because you were saved. Are we following? So you say, which one of these is right? There's really not a great way in the Greek to be able to say which one it is. So if I were like a native Greek person who grew, who grew up learning Koine Greek, which no one exists that's like that today, because of course Koine Greek is a dead language, they would likely have read this and known right away. Just in the same way, we know you, leave, you, know, you live at this street on such and such. We know the prepositions and we don't know why. They would likely have known this, but we don't know. So it could be either one. So what I'm suggesting to you, when you're deciding which of those two to go, you basically have to try to find out other scriptures in the Bible that make it more clear to try to determine if it's for the purpose of or because of. You know, some people think that when you learn Greek, you find out all the answers. You know what happens when you learn Greek? You realize there's even more questions than you thought. That's what really happens when you get to know the Greek a little bit. So, for the purpose of or because of, so this is the debate. Also, I'd like you to consider something else. I would argue that back then, there was not a big separation in time period between salvation and baptism. So when you got saved, you got baptized. It's so different now, you know. So someone might come, let's say someone decides to get saved in our service today. Maybe they even come forward at the end and they come, they decide to become Christian. We would not be like, great, Ron, fire up the baptismal. We're going to get that Duncan going on right now. You know, hope you brought the right clothes. You know, don't worry, we got a spare thing that won't fit you in the back. It's going to be great, right? We, we wouldn't do that, right? We, it would be, there would be a time element separate. That's basically how it is everywhere all the time for the most part. And I don't think it was such a way that back then. As a matter of fact, likely where they were, and we'll see this later on, is they were likely near the Temple Mount, I think, where there was a whole bunch of ritual purification places where people would uh, wash themselves with ritual purification, and likely they were saved and they were baptized right then. And so therefore, the separation between baptism and salvation were like, didn't exist. They just saw the two together. So you said, if you went back to the early church and said, I have an unbaptized Christian, they would have been like, unbaptized Christian? Of what do you speak? You know, this is not a thing. 
So I would argue that the New Testament baptism and salvation are always heavily tied together because there was never one without the other ever. They always happen right away. They always came together. And so there's almost this sort of modern problem that we have on whether baptism saves you or not. Because now it's we have this massive separation between the time to choose you to have faith between the time you get baptized. So we've kind of created this incredible gulf. And so therefore this becomes this debate. If it was back then, we just said, listen, if you decide you want to become a college, the moment you decide to have faith, you're going to be baptized we wouldn't really need to even debate it, right? Because they would just always be happening at the same time. And so it really does not seem like this is even an issue or a debate for them back then because they were always together, always together, always together, always together. So I certainly think that there's nothing magical about getting yourself dunked in water or sprinkled with water that gets you to heaven. I do not have no special power, and I don't think any Catholic priest or any other person has any special power to sprinkle something on you when you're a child or any other age to get you into heaven. There's no question about that. But I do think that when you have faith, when you decide to put your faith and trust in Christ, you should be baptized. And we do a disservice to everyone who gets saved who we're not very clear that we should be telling the world instantly. Why would you get saved but not be willing to tell the world through baptism? As a matter of fact, our baptisms now sometimes come almost private matters, right? Like, not even sure we've done this on purpose, but that we, we have them in our buildings. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything like that. We kind of have this. And sometimes we even have them in a special service where not as people, many people are there. And it's kind of a small private thing. And this is not the way of the New Testament. This, when they did it, and they did it, and they got saved that day, and they were baptized, this was a big deal. It was a public profession. It was a huge. You made this choice. You were letting everyone know. Really, the way baptism should be done was to be something more like, this is one of the most well-attended services we have. This is what you share on your Facebook page, not the cute cat videos. This is the thing that you're supposed to be telling the world about because this is important to you. And I'm not really knocking that we've been doing something wrong or evil or we, we intentionally did it, but I just want to emphasize to you the importance of baptism and the importance of it being this thing that you do when you decide to become a Christian to tell everybody you want them to know and they, they go together. They go together. So, and he promises them once they are they repent and baptize for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had just seen the Holy Spirit come here at the beginning of Acts. They saw it work among them, and he says, when you do this, you too can have the Spirit. Which, of course, even today, we too can have the Spirit of God working in us. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Once again, the Jews would have been surprised to hear that this Holy Spirit was not just offered to the Jews. It was offered to the Gentiles as well. It's for you. It's for your children. But it's also for the Gentiles. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You know, you think about the way the uh, city of Jerusalem was probably structured back then, very small houses, very few places in the entire city. You'd even be able to cram 3,000 people together that would be able to like hear the people talk, which is why I think in Acts chapter 2, there's not a little great explanations about where they were. So they're in the upper room, and then they're probably not, but it doesn't really say, and it doesn't really give a good explanation on sort of like the travel around time, because I think it almost surely they had to be somewhere near the Temple Mount or the Temple area for that many people to have been there to hear it. And then if there were that many people and there were 3,000 people, you say, how would it be possible that I could be baptized? Once again, I'm arguing there are these ritual places, these pools that you would go and you would go, you'd stand, you'd like, you'd stand like this, and you would dip yourself in and you would purify yourself, the Jews would, before they would go in the temple. And it was probably in these pools that they were able to be able to baptize so many so quickly. When I was in Israel, we got to go and to see one of these pools that still somewhat existed, the one I'm pretty broken up for, for them. things are pretty rough over there in Israel, and you can see one of them. And of course, the professor argued that he thought this was one of the pools that they probably used to baptize people on the day of Pentecost. Because one of the big arguments that this is an impossibility, this couldn't have happened, is because there's no way you could baptize 3,000 people because there's not enough water in the whole place. But it would make sense if these ritual pools were there. So as we Get next to this passage, and I stop here because our next section has another kind of big issue that I was afraid if I tried to tackle them both, we may never end. But uh, I'd like us to think about this. Really, two steps and kind of the same point. First of all, baptism is important. Baptism is important. It is a way to show people that you've become a Christian. And you know... When you decide which things we should continue, so we kind of have these, I don't want to call, I don't, I don't think of them as a ritual, so it's not a good word, but we have these things we continue to do. We, we continue to take communion, we continue to do baptism, and the reason we do keep doing those two is because Jesus did them, Jesus told us to keep doing them, and then we see that they did them in the church afterwards, right, the the practice continued on in the New Testament, so we continued on today. And so this very important thing of baptism should not be pushed away. And ironically, sometimes we as Baptists, who you'd think having Baptists in the name, we'd be like all for it. Sometimes we just need to be careful to make sure that we don't push baptism to the side, make sure we don't think of it just something as maybe you do later. It is, it is an important thing. And the second step I'd like us to think about that, I don't know if you want to say equal, but man, it's pretty close is this. You know, why do we do baptism to show people that we're Christians? And you know, you can go get baptized and have all your church family see you. We're all encouraged about it. But then you can go on the rest of your life and guess what? Guess what you can do? I just don't really tell this group of friends about this whole Christian thing, right? I got kind of this group, and I've got that group, and when I'm at this place, I just really don't talk about it quite as much. And you know, it seems a little hypocritical, don't you think, to say, I want to be a Christian, I want to get baptized, which is supposed to be telling everybody that I'm a Christian, but then when I get the opportunity among other people tell them what I believe or my relationship with Christ and how important it is to me, I punt. 
You know, even if you're 100 years old and you got baptized when you were 10, you still make the choice every day when you run into people whether you are going to acknowledge that you are a baptized believer, that you're a Christian, this is important to you, and you are not ashamed to have other people know it. You choose it every single day. Every single day. We not only are supposed to be baptized, but almost equally as importantly, we are supposed to live that baptism out. What good is the water? What good is the water if it doesn't change our lives? What good is a little sprinkle if we hide the rest of the time? Let's pray. Do I just pray this morning that uh, as we think about this baptism issue and just go to one of the passages about it this morning, I just pray, Lord, that if there's anyone that hasn't been baptized that, that thinks they should, I think, I think to, today would be the, the day to decide to do it. And, and Lord, I just pray that uh, for those of who, us who have been baptized, I just pray that we would truly live out that baptism, that our lives would, would express what we are claiming we want others to do in being baptized, that we would not be ashamed of our faith. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.